Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Silver Emotion Podcast. everybody welcome to another episode of the silver motion podcast my name is will calf and i am your host uh episode number 28 this uh this week i'm going to be talking about the wong kar wai film ashes of time uh the film that came out uh, a few months after chunking express and uh i got a couple other movies that i will uh, briefly uh touch on let's say um so uh no feedback this week uh which is good i can just pop right into ashes of time i am hoping that i can get this done rather uh quickly we'll see i have a lot of stuff that i i felt about ashes of time it is a movie that i saw when i was a teenager back in my uh early early days of the uh, Hong Kong love. Um, I didn't, well, not the early days. I was probably deep into it by the time we were watching Wong Kar Wai movies. Uh, but um, I remember, I'm tr- I was trying to think of like when I might have seen this movie and I was thinking that um, I remember when Happy Together came out and that was like a big deal and we were trying to get a hold of happy together and that movie came out in 97 so i want to say that we must have seen uh ashes of time somewhere in maybe 96 uh early 97 something like that Uh, but anyway it's been uh at least 20 years uh since i've seen ashes of time and I probably saw it maybe once or twice. And to be completely honest, I never really liked it. I thought it was really hard to understand. And I, I just couldn't uh, couldn't get into it. Um, I love the, the genre of the wuxia now. Uh, thanks to my uh, series on the Shaw Brothers, which has really... Um, Given me an appreciation for that art form that is the wuxia. Uh, I always liked some of them. Like, there's shit that, like, it was so dope that you couldn't help but like it. Like, um, Swordsman 2 with Jet Li or, like, fucking uh, Tai Chi Master with Jet Li. Once Upon a Time in China are kind of wuxias, too, but not... Not in a classic wuxia sense. They're like completely different. Um, but but um, in terms of choreography and stuff, they, they follow a lot of lines of, of wuxias where there's supernatural elements and stuff like that. Um, but it's a little more reserved in those movies. Anyway, whatever. Uh, but I never, never really latched on to Ashes of Time... Um, so in rewatching it, I was excited to rewatch it because um, I I know I mentioned it at some point. I always felt like I didn't get Wong Kar Wai, even though I really liked some of the movies. Um, so Ashes of Time, my main concern with that movie when I was a teenager was that it was a martial arts movie, but it was not an action movie. So there's fights in it, uh, but they're not shot in any kind of traditional way. So you don't get the same like visceral action movie thrills from the fight. And at that time, I was uh, pretty narrow-minded 
about my action movies, and I didn't understand why you would make an action movie, as I saw it. I saw it as an action movie. I, you know, why would you make this movie that, that features martial artists, martial arts um, characters, um, and not have, like, dope Hong Kong fights? Uh, I don't think that I was aware that Sammo Hung was the choreo- the choreographer, uh, if I was, I sure as hell don't remember remembering that or knowing that. Um, but if I did know that, I probably would have. Uh, I probably would have added a, a log to the fire of what is Ashes of Time. Uh, but I am here to tell you today that I have rewatched Ashes of Time as an adult, and I have to say, it is a fucking phenomenal movie. Like, I was so blown away by this movie. It fucking knocked my socks off. <laughs> uh, I watched the original, 1990... What year is this? Three? Four? I think it's three. 1994, it says. Okay. Well, uh, I watched the original cut. The original cut is not available in the U.S. I don't think it ever has been uh, officially um, I have a, a DVD from Asia. I believe it's a Taiwanese DVD that I have. Um, anyway, that's the, pretty much the only way you can get the uh, the old the old edition, old the original theatrical cut at this point. Um, in somewhere in the two thousands, I want to say two thousand five, two thousand six, something like that. Wong Kar Wai did a redo version of the film, uh, re-editing it and re-color timing it and all of that. And the reason why he didn't just remaster it and put it out on a DVD uh, was that something about the the place where the negatives were stored like cause some shit to get fucked up and so there was basically no like there was no way to um put out the original ashes of time the only way to do it would be to reconstruct the movie and so Wong Kar Wai being a fan of of re-editing his movies and um kind of tinkering for a long time not so much at this time in his career, but but as he got older, he definitely got into that. Um, there's multiple cuts of the Grandmaster, for instance, and all of those cuts were um, carried out by Wong Kar Wai himself. And uh, I read an interview with him uh, around the time when I watched Grandmaster last year. And um, he said that he likes all of the cuts and he thinks that they all have their strengths and weaknesses and so when asked what was his preferred cut he wouldn't answer he's he said that he he likes them all but uh, i haven't seen the new quote-unquote new version of ashes of time i will hit it up um when i get up to that you know i'll watch it chronologically so i don't know in a couple months maybe Something like that. Anyway, so the theatrical Ashes of Time is uh, obviously the one that I saw back in the day. And this movie is a wuxia, as I have uh, alluded to. Wuxia, if you're not uh, super familiar with the term, means basically uh, a story of chivalrous heroes. It's basically Chinese fantasy. It's a... They started out in novels, I believe. Um... And it's basically one of the classic genres of Chinese fiction. And it involves um, swordsmen and swordswomen and swords people. <laughs> and uh, people with swords who can do amazing feats because they have trained themselves to the level of uh, perfection and beyond perfection. They have trained themselves to be able to do amazing feats. Uh, which I liked to call wuxia feats. And uh, so they can fucking throw a teacup across the room and catch it on the end of their sword. 
they can throw plates and they fucking embed in the wooden post of the inn, uh, such things as that, all kinds of stuff like that. Um, it is one of my favorite genres of Hong Kong film at this point in my uh, film-loving career, if you want to call it that. And the way that Wong Kar Wai chooses to uh, exhibit these wuxia traits in Ashes of Time is, like, absolutely phenomenal. The fights, as I mentioned before, the fights are not traditional fights. They are, um, kind of like, how do I say it? They're obscured a bit. So, like, if you've seen Chunking Express, think about the sort of stuttery, blurry um, shots in that movie where, like, Takeshi Kaneshiro is running, but it's not a full on like 30 frame or 24 frames a second. It's all fucking stuttered and weird and um, almost like flashes. And I, in, in the episode, I described it as like this representation of memory where you just, you kind of, you know, you get the gist, but, and you know what's going on, but you don't necessarily have an exact recording of it so the fights of ash time are primarily almost 100 percent shot like this there are little flashes here and there where where it it kind of busts out of that but primarily it's just this uh, sort of blurry motion and there's a lot of really cool uh, wuxia stuff that comes in and out of that because the fights were choreographed by Sammo Hung, who's one of the great minds of choreography uh, in the world. And so there's a lot of, as blurry as the, the scenes are, they're very coherent. And you can follow what's going on. And the big moments are suitably uh, presented so that you know, it, it creates a scene. It's not, it's not just fucking obscured uh, to the point of obscurity, <laughs> if that makes sense. Um, and I found that watching it this time, knowing that the fights were going to be that way and knowing that, like, okay, this is a Wong Kar Wai movie. It's not an action movie. He's not an action filmmaker. Um, and just sort of keying my brain into that uh, when I was watching it. I found that, like the scenes in Chunking Express, where I thought that they were the, this representation of memory, here I found that it was more a representation of uh, a human take on the um the sheer amount of skill contained in uh, a wuxia hero so like and i often see stuff like this in movies where i feel like uh, a bystander uh looking on and i i enjoy that a lot in movies you know it brings a reality to it so, but in this case, it's not so much a reality as it is an impression. So, the the fight scenes are not presenting like an A to B linear thing. They're presenting these almost like flashes, these impressions. It's an impressionistic vision of what a wuxia fight is. And I feel like it's through the lens, at least to me... It felt like it was through the lens of me, the non-martial art <laughs> um, sort of lay person, looking at the wuxia hero. And I understand the big moments that are clearly where like stuff stops because this dude just got his fucking head chopped off. Or, you know, like big moments that are easily... Uh, comprehended 
I, as the layperson, can look at that and go, okay, I get it. But the sword work, the intricacies of the sword work, stuff, the details of the art of the martial arts. If I'm not a martial artist and I don't consider myself a martial artist, um, if I were to be there watching this fight, I wouldn't necessarily understand what I was watching. And so I found that quality to be very present in Ashes of Time. And um, it led me to this feeling of, like, it was like I had this deep feeling in my gut that these people fighting were so far beyond like my level of of like of action <laughs> like as as a person i would never be capable of anything close to that to the point that like i i watched it but i don't even know what the fuck i watched like i saw a guy get his head chopped off i saw this guy get stabbed but like all that other shit was a blur and so I came away with this feeling like I could barely comprehend the level of skill in evidence by these uh, wuxia heroes. And I found that to be very interesting in terms of the wuxia film um, itself, because in general... You've got uh, just a traditionally shot wuxia, and the 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 focus is on creating dazzling uh, choreography that plays to the audience and impresses them, and that sort of lineage, just as a as a film sort of thing. You can trace that back in the wuxia genre, you know, back at least 30 years from uh, Ashes of Time to to the mid-60s when Shaw Brothers started doing their wuxia films. But um, the general thing is it's a movie we are seeking to entertain, so let's create these uh, skill the let's create these scenes where not only are the characters presented as being c- characters with skill like there's also a very obvious technical aspect that somebody can watch and see like oh well they they you know they they definitely put their work in to make this a good movie i don't know if that makes sense but to me I'm unable to like watch a movie without seeing the technical aspects, technical aspects. Like, um, it's just, it's just shit that just jumps out at me. And it's very interesting to me that the whole like idea of the people working on the movie, like it's, it's always been a thing for me. I've always been very interested in it and it always jumps out at me. So, with Ashes of Time, though, Wong Kar Wai specifically tries to do something completely different and not utilize that standard sort of wuxia idea of the fight or the hero or anything. He tries to do his own, completely his own thing. Now, do I know if this is the first instance of this in Hong Kong cinema? I don't know, but I wouldn't be surprised if it is to be completely honest um but who knows if you know uh write in and uh let me know i'd be very interested in this so if you know please please let me know although i don't know if you know who knows (laughs) who knows if you know you know you know i don't know do you know i don't know how many times can i say no 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 (laughs) No, 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 no,
Okay, so I'm I'm getting off track a little bit. I had all these notes and they had them, and I I have all these thoughts about Ashes of Time. This movie, like, I'm I'm a passionate sort of person. I get really excited about stuff, and I got I like I watched Ashes of Time like a fucking week ago. At this point, it was I watched it on Monday. Today is Saturday, and like. I haven't stopped thinking about it. I am just as excited as I was the day that I watched it. This fucking movie like blew me away. I would say at this point, it's very close to being my favorite Wong Kar Wai movie. Um, but it's also the fact that like it blew me away because I had lowered expectations because I didn't really like it when I was younger. Whereas like Chunking Express is an amazing, amazing movie, but I've always thought it was an amazing movie. So when I went in to watch it again, it was like, okay, let's watch this amazing movie. And it is just as amazing as it always was. So like there wasn't that fucking, you know, like there was with Ashes of Time. So... What was I wanting to say? Okay, so another key aspect of the wuxia genre that I've found through my evidence of, uh, through my uh, path through the Shaw Brothers films is that the wuxia film is a very dense um, film. (laughs) I don't know why I had to think about fucking the next word when all it was going to be was film but they're very dense and they're very dense in story and characters not necessarily character depth but the density of the amount of characters there's usually a shitload of characters and a shitload of story and they're usually jam-packed into in the case of the old Chopper Brothers movies, 90 minutes, and it's way more than you'd ever see in, like, a Western movie. Western, not cowboys, but Western being, you know, non-Eastern film. <laughs> um, so they're usually very jam-packed, and at times very hard to understand if you're not, like right fucking on every word really paying attention and knowing like who character who who character uh which character is who and who's playing what and whatever and so with ashes of time the story is not the dense um portion of the movie the amount of characters I wouldn't call dense either. There are quite a few characters, but nothing close to like a traditional wuxia. So, where is the density in Ashes of Time? The density is in the relationships between all of these characters. And not just between all of the characters, but between the characters and themselves. Internally, they're struggling with certain things. Externally, externally, they're struggling with other things. Like there's, there's the movie is kind of broken up into these little stories, and there's a couple of thing. There's a couple of stories that that deal specifically with these horse thieves and like the horse thieves are not characters they're this force that's you know riding out in the desert and at times they come into the movie and then they are a problem but they're not a character so they're just something for one of the characters to have to deal with um, so to have a relationship with whatever, but anyway, the density of these relationships is really deep and very dense and overlapping and interwoven and all kinds of like, 
intricacies within all of these characters and their dynamics. And that is where the, the density of this wuxia comes. Another layer on top of that, um, just whatever's within the movie, is that Wong Kar Wai specifically made this movie... Um, he made it, he wrote it as a prequel to one of the most famous wuxia novels um, in the history of, of wuxia novels, at least modern wuxia novels. It was a novel written in the 50s that has been adapted um, into numerous movies and TV shows. Um, the Shaw Brothers adapted it into the Brave Archer series. And I know there's a couple of other Shaw Brothers movies that are based on it as well. Um, lots of TV shows in Hong Kong. Anyway, the book is called The Legend of the Condor Heroes. Um, and it's very famous and, you know, everybody knows it in Hong Kong, in China probably as well. And so Ashes of Time is specifically written to be a prequel to that novel taking a lot of the main characters and putting them into this situation where you kind of see how they became the person that they are in uh, the, the later stories of the novel. So uh, there are some characters also that are written completely for Ashes of Time and have nothing to do with the book, but... They provide, you know, an interesting uh, sort of situations for these characters to have to deal with. And I have not read the book. It is not available in English. And um, I haven't seen the Brave Archer movies. So I don't really know anything too much about this story other than I'm very aware of it because it comes up a lot. And the guy who wrote it, I know, is a very famous um, wuxia novelist who wrote a lot of other things that were also adapted and stuff like that. Um, but, like, the the character that Leslie Chung plays in Ashes of Time is actually, like, the main villain of uh, the Condor Heroes book. But here, he's basically, like, the main protagonist. And... I know that if I really knew those characters, it would add another layer of, of complexity and, and fucking engagement to Ashes of Time that, um, you know, just would further uh, intensify this wonderful fucking artistic movie. And what else do I want to say? I have all I have so many fucking notes about this movie, and and I had a little path in my notes. I was like, okay, I'm gonna go from this to that, and then as soon as I started recording, I just completely fucking just like a fucking train off the side of a cliff. <laughs> um. So. Oh, that was another thing. At the same time that he made Ashes of Time, he produced, uh, Wong Kar Wai produced another movie uh, that, that uses basically the same cast. And I don't know if everybody plays the same roles or not, but but um, it uses basi basically the same cast. And it is a parody of the Condor Heroes book. Uh, and the movie is called Eagle Shooting Heroes, which I am told or I have read, that uh, Eagle Shooting Heroes is like a proper translation of the book's uh, title, whereas Condor, The Legend of the Condor Heroes is like this Americanization of the actual title. Um, but, you know, I don't actually know because I don't know Chinese, but, you know... <laughs> <laughs> Again, you don't come to me for strict facts. <laughs> um, I wanted to talk a bit about fantasy as a whole. 
I like fantasy. I think that's been established in a previous podcast where I talked about fantasy and imagination. And generally in fantasy, there's a lot of world building. Uh, traditional fantasy will, you know, create a, a world and, and there will be rules to this world and you'll have to learn like, okay, well, in this world, there's only one male child that can survive and, and then, you know, this and that and then, you know, it creates this sort of conundrum for the characters or whatever. And within the traditional fantasy genre, so people with swords and horses and shit like that, um, a good portion of what I've seen and what I've read and, and just pretty much a lot of that shit in some way is uh, taking inspiration or directly lifting shit from Lord of the Rings. Now, the same could be said, as I mentioned before, about Wuxia, where so much of the visuals and the style and everything else was established many, many years ago, going back to the Shaw Brothers era, early Wuxias, um, but they had been making Wuxias since the beginning of uh, film in China, which would be uh, the early 1920s, if I remember right. Um before there was a Hong Kong industry, there was a Shanghai film industry, and then all of the... Something happened where the Shanghai film industry collapsed, and then a bunch of those guys came to Hong Kong and created basically the Hong Kong film industry, one of which was... Um, uh, uh, one of which was, was Sammo Hung's like, grandfather or great-grandfather. I don't remember which one it was. But uh, he was a director, and then his wife was a star in the movies. And uh, the, the, the Shaw brothers um, were involved at somewhere in there. I don't, I don't remember when the, the first incarnation of, of Shaw Studios started, but it was sometime around then, and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But anyway, so the, the, the roots of Wuxia stem back very far and but for for my knowledge kind of starts at the 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 Shaw brothers era so 65 and on so for the you know for the at least 65 to 94 where we're going with ashes of time wuxia's you can chart their progression like within the Shaw brothers stuff you can see like okay they're trying to do much grander things, but they they have ambition, but they don't have the technical uh, abilities to make that a, uh, an actual thing. And then as time goes on, they gain the technical abilities to do those things, and then they reach further and reach further. And then eventually you get to the early 90s, where fucking Hong Kong wire work is so fucking just balls out, nuts, dope. <laughs> that uh you know it's just basically unstoppable they can do anything they can literally do anything that they want to do you know um i'm sure the the filmmakers who were making films at that time probably didn't feel like they could do anything that they wanted to do because i'm sure there were lots of compromises as there usually are in uh, artistic endeavors but as a viewer specifically as a viewer considering that that uh, the, that 30 years from the early Schaubather stuff to then in the early 90s, like, it, it really felt like they could literally do anything. So, the idea of the Wuxia film in the early 90s carries a, an idea, there's an assumption, there's kind of a working knowledge of oh, I'm going to go see a wuxia. Okay, there's going to be people flying around and it's going to kind of feel like this because this is a Hong Kong, this is the way Hong Kong wuxias feel like. And Ashes of Time uh, just completely obliterates that and goes into a completely different direction. So like in a great fantasy novel that will completely build up its own unique 
really like mind-blowing and, and uh, engaging world, something that you just get completely lost in um, and just go nuts for because it's unlike anything that you've ever experienced, yet it's still traditional fantasy. Ashes of Time is that film to the wuxia genre where it's just the way it's structured the way everything is done is so unique. It's just an entirely new experience that challenges you on every level. There's no level of familiar, familiarity in terms of the structure or anything. It's, it's just completely unique and completely fucking brilliant. I love it. You know, it's, it's reaching very far and achieving that it's pure fucking art like true absolute art this is like one of the purest examples of cinema as art that i've seen in a long time and i I mean honestly chunky express is probably a very good example of that as well it just didn't hit me as hard because i knew it was going to be dope um, and, you know, what's interesting about about this Ashes of Time, I mean, is that what? Yeah, Ashes of Time as being this big, like, artistic expression, building a completely new world. If you take a step back and look at Wong Kar Wai himself, if you look at the three movies that came out before Ashes of Time, there's As Tears Go By, Days of Being Wild, and Chunking Express. And all three of those are um, movies that kind of feel like a natural progression. They're all, they're not similar movies, but they're similar enough where you can feel like this is the same guy making movies and you can see that he's getting better and, you know, the ideas that he has about characters and, and filmmaking and everything is you, he's clearly progressing in his abilities. Whereas Ashes of Time still feels like the same guy, the same artistic vision is guiding it, but it feels like a completely new realm, like a new playground that, that Wong Kar Wai is, is, exploring and I find that really interesting because he started making it after Days of Being Wild and he finished shooting it and he was in the middle of editing it and he just got completely fucking drained he was so just completely spent and just tired of the movie and he couldn't fucking crack it. He couldn't, you know, he had some problems with how to cut things together or whatever. And he just fucking, like, had a breakdown. And somewhere in that sort of spiral, the idea for Chunking Express came to him. And because he was so artistically burnt out on Ashes of Time, he thought, you know what? This movie that I have in my head, I think I can bust this out relatively quickly and that it should theoretically like relight my artistic pilot light and I'll be fucking good to go and I can finish Ashes of Time. And so he did exactly that. It worked exactly as he wanted it to. And then he came back to Ashes of Time totally invigorated by the experience with Chunky Express and he finished it up and uh, it was released literally just like three or four months maybe after uh, Chunking Express. So I find that interesting because as I said before, there's I feel like there's an arc, you know, uh, just a technical arc or whatever. I don't, I'm not saying there's any kind of thematic thing going on between the first three movies, but just... I don't know. It's a feeling sort of thing. So I feel like Ashes, uh, As Tears Go By, Days of Being Wild, and Chunking Express feel like 
you know, a progression. Ashes of Time feels completely different. So I find it interesting that he tried to make Ashes of Time. He tried to do this super fucking ambitious uh, riff on the Wuxia movie. And which is a riff on one of the most famous novels in the genre. Um, but he couldn't fucking do it. Like, it was so much. And it's like he he wanted to do it, but he wasn't ready. And there was still something nagging that needed to come out. And that was Chunking Express because he needed to complete his evolution as like the the Hong Kong sort of filmmaker that um, he's really known for, like that sort of like streets of Hong Kong sort of nightlife, all of that stuff really um, comes to a total like artistic head in Chunking Express. But, you know, he was trying to do something. I don't know. Anyway, I'm kind of petering out here, but because uh, I kind of lost my train of thought. But anyway, I found it interesting, and <laughs> I realized that at some level, that's like a highly romanticized version of Wong Kar Wai. This idea that like, oh, he 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 needed to fucking fully evolve before he could finish this grand masterpiece of ashes of time this totally new venture that was completely different and unique for him like i understand that that's this like total romanticization romanticization <laughs> like i'm romanticizing the idea that of wong kar wai the artist and i'm sure that there was not a lot of thought it was just you know he was doing what he felt and it is what it is and so to me on the outside i like to attribute this to some fucking grand cosmic sort of <laughs> shit aligning you know and uh, I realized that maybe like I know that he wasn't consciously thinking that but I like the idea of believing it for myself because Wong Kar Wai the guy is a guy making his art and expressing himself. And so Wong Kar Wai, the guy to himself, is very different than Wong Kar Wai, the guy and the artist to me. And so to me, my relationship to him is through his art completely. And so as an idol, he is a figure that's meant to present me with ideas and challenge me with those ideas and get me thinking in different ways and inspire me. And so if maybe I overly romanticize the idea of the artist in this case, I feel like it's all for the best because in the end, He's a figure that's meant to inspire this kind of like passion and excitement about art and, uh, you know, for, for a fan. Um, so, <laughs> you know, I, I just, I fucking love it. I love, I just fucking ashes of time is dope. It's really dope. Um, that was another thing. Here we go. I'm trying to run through the notes here and I'm noticing I was talking about the Wuxia representation of martial skill earlier. And one thing that I, that I was trying to get to, but I went down some other fucking train, you know, somebody <laughs> switched the track and I went off the other rail. Um, they, there's shit in this movie where someone will swing their sword and their, their ability, their martial ability is so fucking powerful and evolved that when they swing this sword, like, the whole side of a fucking mountain explodes. 
Or in the case of Bridget Lynn's character, she's in the water and she swings her sword and like this gigantic fucking explosion of water happens because her fucking sword strike is so powerful. And it's these grand, huge, big displays of power and explosion. It's like so far beyond anything I've ever seen. And it's just, it's fucking brilliant. And it goes along the lines of that thing that I was talking about where it's, to the lay person, it's something that I don't even understand. Like I, I look, I see Bridget Lynn swing her sword the fucking lake explodes. Like, I, I, I just, I don't, I don't comprehend it. But I do have an understanding of it. Like, okay, these are uh, men or women above the average men. Like, I, they are in another league. You know, like, the idea that in a traditional wuxia, I might be able to comprehend their actions as like, oh, you know, look at, you know, this fucking guy can do this dope sword move, and that's really cool, and so I can appreciate it as a lay person, or as a film viewer, I can appreciate it as a, as a trick of cool choreography or something like that. But in Ashes of Time, it's so fucking, like, outside the realm of... of human understanding like (laughs) i'm not explaining it well i don't think but it's just it's fucking blew me away so um i don't know i should probably stop talking about ashes of time i fucking loved this movie i just flat out fucking love it it's a crime that this movie is not more widely available in this original theatrical cut I don't know if the 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 redone cut it's called Ashes of Time Redo. I don't know if that one is is really anywhere near as good. I would imagine that it's probably about the same movie, but um who knows? I don't know. I know it's a little bit shorter actually. Uh but if you have a chance to see Ashes of Time and you are interested in Wong Kar Wai, I would definitely recommend it. It is one of the uh, best, most perfectly beautiful representations of art, uh, cinema as art, in my opinion. Uh, very inspiring, very challenging, very, very uh, gorgeous, and very brilliant. I, I can't say enough about this movie. I love it. <sighs> Let me take a break. Stop. I'm sick of your bullshit. All right, so I am back, and I'm going to be talking about a few more movies. The first of which is the Sammo Hung movie, starring Sammo Hung, Jackie Chan, and Yoon Byu, uh, called Wheels on Meals. Wheels on Meals, I believe I've mentioned it before. It's the movie that features Jackie's one-on-one fight with Benny the Jet Urquidas. And it is one of the greatest martial arts battles uh, one-on-one in the history of battles. Um, there's a lot of other great fights as well. And I didn't really take any notes. Uh, the only note that I took <laughs> was uh, three words. One word was a contraction, so maybe, you know, is that three and a half words? I don't know. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> the note was, it's all dope. Because, <laughs> honest to God, I love Wheels on Meals, start to finish, everything about it. It's a fucking great movie. It's all dope. Uh, fucking period. <laughs> I don't know what else to say. It's dope. If you like Jackie, if you like Sam Hung. If you like dope fights, if you like fuck comedic action, if you like vans filled with food that are delivered by skateboard, uh, it's a fucking great movie. I love it. 
And that's all I'm going to say. It's all dope. <laughs> all right. So the next movie that I watched is a horror movie called Slaughterhouse Rock. And Slaughterhouse Rock features a score by the wonderful uh, 80s rock band. Um, who, eh, maybe they start, I think they started in the 70s. But I, I would imagine that they're most known for their 80s work. Um, anyway, it's a score by Devo. And this is... <laughs> I don't... It's not a good movie. But I really liked it. It's a weird, weird movie. And a lot of times weird weird movies will charm me and because they're so unique and there's nothing like them and watching slaughterhouse rock was not as entertaining as it should have been but i really liked it <laughs> i gotta say i think i'll leave something cold out of a can and lie awake all night one really interesting thing about it other than the Devo connection is that it was shot. Uh, the cinematography was done by a guy named. Uh, I should have pulled up his fucking name. Why do I do every time? It's like I'm about to say something, and then it's like, oh, I should have pulled that up. <laughs> okay, so the the cinematographer was a guy named Nicholas Joseph von Sternberg. Now. If you're a film fan, you probably know the name, um, Joseph von Sternberg. He's a very famous, famous director from the classic era of film. And um, Nicholas Joseph von Sternberg is uh, his son. <laughs> and so that is... One interesting little tidbit about uh, the cinematographer. The other being that Nicholas Joseph von Sternberg was uh, a cinematographer for a lot of independent features. Uh, in the first of which was the Rudy Ray Moore film Dolomite. He also shot uh, Petey Wheatstraw, one of the sequels. He also shot the... Uh, David Schmoller, um, pre-Empire, Charles Band-produced film, Tourist Trap. Anyway, Joseph von Sternberg's kid fucking shot Dolomite. Did you know that? Because I sure as hell didn't know that. And I thought that was a pretty fucking interesting little tidbit of film history. So thanks, Slaughterhouse Rock, for bringing that to my attention. Um, it doesn't really do me any good, but it uh, makes for a... Uh, amusing little uh, <laughs> story on a podcast. Um, so yeah, Slaughterhouse Rock, I don't know that I would recommend it, but if you are in the mood for an 80s horror movie that is funny, but isn't necessarily always trying to be funny, um, but it's kind of a shitty movie. Like it's kind of really poorly made. But at the same time, it's it's also pretty enjoyable. Uh, <laughs> anyway, if you like '80s shit, just fucking watch it. <laughs> you know, I mean, what do you got to lose? <laughs> All right, and then the last movie that I want to talk about this week that I watched is a 1988 movie, uh, just like Slaughterhouse Rock. Uh, this movie is called Nightmare Sisters. It is directed by one of the most prolific directors in the history of B-movies, uh, David Dakota. David Dakota, if you don't know, he um, worked a lot with the Full Moon Studios. Uh, many of his movies... Um, I don't know. He made so many movies that I think he's made more movies that weren't Full Moon at this point. But uh, he started working for Charles Band 
His first um, feature was a movie called Dream Maniac that I really hated, um, but I saw it a long time ago, and I want to revisit it now because it was the first Dakota movie that I saw, and now I've seen like 30 of them, and I've really become a fan. So I'm interested to see that first one again. But anyway, uh, Dream Maniac was shot on video very cheaply and very uh, economically. And uh, it led to Dakota getting uh, a lot of work with Charles Band. So he made the movie uh, Sorority Babes in the Slime Bolorama for Empire. And uh, prior to that, he made the movie Creepazoids. So directly after making uh, Sorority Babes in the Slimeball Bolorama, he uh, somehow heard about uh, another cult uh, B-movie director, Fred Olin Ray, and he heard that Fred Olin Ray had made a movie in five days. And David Coda, being young, and full of piss and vinegar, said, you know what? I can do it in four days. So he had just come off of a Sorority Babes in the Slimeball Bolorama, and so he got the three female leads of that film, uh, Linnea Quigley, Michelle Bauer, and Brink Stevens, three uh, very well-known scream queens of the 80s, uh, he got them together, and he said, um, okay, uh, you want to be in my, my new movie? I'm going to do it in four days. So they signed up, and then uh, he got a little uh, a few guys together, and uh, he had a friend that was moving, and the new guys weren't uh, moving into the house until Monday. So he said, okay, you can fucking use my house um, from Thursday to Sunday or some shit like that. And so in those, those uh, sh- few short days, they shot Nightmare Sisters. And they shot it completely on 35mm uh, short ends from uh, Sorority Babes in the Slimeball Bolorama. Um, and maybe previous movies as well. But I think primarily it was from the Sorority Babes shoot that had just ended. Short ends, if you aren't familiar, are... The ends of reels where it's too short to get the next shot or whatever, and so they cut it off. Or, and I don't know technically how it, it occurs, but uh, at the end of reels, there's unexposed film that gets cut off, and uh, low-budget filmmakers have sort of, uh, in the past, uh, they don't have to do it now, I guess, but, but in the past... Low-budget filmmakers have taken short ends, pieced them together, and made movies out of them, such as Nightmare Sisters and uh, the Robert Townsend movie uh, Hollywood Shuffle, I believe, was all shot on short ends as well, Uh, and many other movies as well. Um, But anyway, Nightmare Sisters is a fucking, like, super fun total trash fucking B-movie. I wouldn't recommend it to everybody. But if you like B-movies and you like Linnea Quigley and Brink Stevens and Michelle Bauer and just uh, fucking shitty 80s movies, um, I would highly recommend it. I really liked it quite a bit. So that is the show. That's going to be it. Uh, Coming up on the site this week, I have uh, two reviews. I have a review of the Full Moon movie, Hell Asylum. Uh, So that'll be coming up um, on Tuesday. And then on Friday, the the Shaw Brothers movie of the week is an Italian co-production starring a bunch of people that I don't remember their names and Hugh and... Yu Hua from the Shaw Brothers studio and it's a movie called Superman Against the Amazons uh, also known as uh, many other things around the world. I believe the US title was Super Stooges versus the Amazon Women but I'm not looking at anything so I could be off on a word or two. Anyway uh, 
<laughs> that's what's coming up on the site. And then uh, preview of the week after next. I'm actually, I think I'm going to have to take a week off uh, for reviews. I might, I, I should theoretically be able to still do a podcast, but I don't know that I'll be able to write anything um, because I fucked up this week and I didn't get the shit done. And because I worked a couple weeks ahead, it's going to affect not next, not this week of this podcast, but the next week. So anyway, that's going to be the show. Um, if you have any feedback, send it in. Um, and, uh, so, uh, farewell. What does he mean, farewell? Where did he go? We've been tricked. <laughs> All right, so that's the show. Adios. Those stories are all lies.